Welcome to the Global Treasures Podcast. I'm Abigail Vacca. And I'm Keith Berthume. We're two travelers with a passion for exploring World Heritage Sites. What makes the concept of World Heritage Sites so unique is the idea that these places belong to all people, no matter where they physically live. We'll spend each episode exploring the history, travel tips, and so much more. There are 1,199 sites across the world, with more being added every year. Throughout our journey, we're going to release episodes in the order by year the sites were originally added to the list, starting with the first ones in 1978. Before we get right into today's episode, we actually want to thank everyone who's been listening to the podcast, but we have a quick ask. Please leave a review if you can and tell your friends about us. Reviews help us show up in search engines and allow more people to find this podcast, which in turn helps us to create more content. Word of mouth is also the most powerful tool to get new people to learn about these awesome sites. Absolutely. We so appreciate your support. Today, Keith and I will be introducing you to Vilichka and Baknia Royal Salt Mines, which are located in the town of Vilichka near Krakow in southern Poland. The salt mines were established as a World Heritage Site by UNESCO in 1978. Researching this site was a ton of fun. I actually had to ask kindly of one of my very good friends to give me a language lesson for this one. So a huge shout out to my buddy Kolk, who's from Poland. There are a bunch of names that are very difficult to say, some that I said wrong in previous episodes, and he was able to coach me through them. Hopefully, I won't mess up on them too badly or I'll probably hear about it soon. The site is made up of two mines. But in addition to the mines, there is attached to the site the Wielichka Salt Works Castle. The site does an amazing job of showing the historic stages of development of mining techniques in Europe from the 13th to the 20th centuries. Both of the mines were administered and technically run by the Wielichka Salt Works Castle, which dates from the medieval period and has been rebuilt several times in the course of its history. Attractions include the shafts and passageways, displays of historic salt mining technology, an underground lake, four chapels, and numerous statues carved by miners out of the rock salt. So you probably know by now that I'm a chemist by trade and I also love human history. So I get to completely nerd out on this site. The economic, historic, scientific, and even medical history of this site change the human story in many ways, and I can't wait to dive in. So let's head back, way back. In the Neolithic Age, which is sometimes called the New Stone Age, the area around modern-day Vilichka was rich in brine water bubbling up from the surface. So brine is actually water that has a high concentration of sodium chloride dissolved in it. This brine was collected and processed by being boiled in small clay vessels for the raw sodium chloride. The oldest salt-working tools in Central Europe discovered nearby Vilichka came from this Neolithic period. The sodium chloride was an absolute necessary item for preserving food and hides, and made it possible for humans to survive the winters. Sodium chloride became so important to humans, it was often used as payment, and the word salary actually comes from the word salt, because it was the amount of money that was allotted to a Roman soldier to buy salt, which was at that time a valuable and expensive commodity. In the 11th and 12th centuries, the salt springs that provided the brine began to weaken and disappear. So by the 13th century, the first wells were sunk into the ground to get more of the brine. This water that collected in the wells 
was brought to the surface and boiled in iron pans until pure evaporated salt remained. During this time, the whole region began to develop and there were three residential settlements, two stone churches, and trade and craft flourished. In the 13th century, one of the saline wells that was being dug revealed the first lump of rock salt. So rock salt is halide, which is the mineral formed from sodium chloride. This discovery turned out to be revolutionary. Now, salt could be obtained by mining methods, and shafts were sunk in the area, and the Vilichka mine was started. All right, a little note here. I adjusted a few of the names based on the aforementioned language lesson, so my pronunciations in episode four of this season were a little different than the following ones. Hopefully, I've improved. So from the late 13th to the 14th century, this industry was so important to the area, the Salt Works Castle was built near the mine. King Kazimierz III, the Great, who reigned from 1333 to 1370, contributed massively to the development of the mine and granted the mine and its workers many privileges. He also took miners under his care and even founded a hospital nearby. While he was in power, the mine's profits made up as much as one-third of the royal treasury income. The profits even enabled him to build the Krakow Academy, which was a central focus of our Season 1, Episode 4 show on Krakow, Poland. He then issued the Saltworks Statute in 1368, making mining laws and traditions, which helped guarantee the stable development of the mine for many years to come. Over the following centuries, many chambers were dug, and various famous groundbreaking technologies were added, such as the Hungarian horse treadmill, the Saxon treadmill, as well as others that were designed to help bring the salt to the surface. At the end of the Middle Ages, 300 to 350 people worked in Vilichka, and the annual production of salt reached 7,000 to 8,000 tons, which is over 16 million pounds. It's difficult to overstate the importance of salt mining for the medieval Polish economy, and the mine wasn't even operating on maximum scale yet. Mining was still seasonal, only open during the months when no agricultural work was being carried out. Up until the end of the 15th century, there were only four mining shafts and one underground level of the mine. The next three centuries became a time of change. The first major change was that the mine began a year-round working schedule. This increased development and working of the mine called for more specialists in various fields such as surveying because accurate and careful measurements needed to be made as the mine was expanded. Mining was the catalyst that furthered many scientific fields across the world. The mine grew large enough that the first accurate maps of the mine were created by cartographers during this time. Martin German was the author of the first maps that have been preserved since the 1630s. Johann Gottfried Borlach also created maps, but was better known for being one of the best managers of the company in its history. In the 16th century, the search for salt below the first level began, and by the middle of the 17th century, the mine had even reached a third level. At this time, rock salt is not the only production in the Vilichka area. At the surface, a large amount of salt was produced in the salt works, where brine was evaporated in special pan furnaces. Due to the huge amount of production, an actual shortage of firewood occurred which led to the import of firewood. When even this turned out to be too expensive and cumbersome, the salt water was simply transported to very distant cities, such as Turin, to boil there. 
This lack of lumber also made it difficult for the miners' job as well. These miners could not get enough wood to build enough of the box cribs, which were the wooden structures that secured their mining operations. So because of this, salt evaporation was stopped in 1724, and only the mining methods were then used. During this time, travelers started to visit the mine. However, they had to obtain a royal permit to do so. Even with this restriction, though, the number of visitors grew steadily, and a brand new type of profit started to reveal itself. In 1772, as we mentioned in a historic Krakow episode, the first three partitions of Poland took place, and the mine came under the rule of the Habsburg monarchy. Even though there was no Polish state at this time, the mine continued to develop. The new owners planned the development of the company and did not hold back on spending, especially on security. They made large leaps in the technical equipment used in mining. Extraction using gunpowder was started, a railway line was built underground, a steam hosting machine was built, and a power plant was even put into place. This was no accidental development. The mine was considered one of the most important companies in the entire Austrian Empire at the time. During this time, tourism became an important source of income for the company. Many investments were made in order to increase tourism, and various services were offered. In 1774, the mine started to have visitors sign guest books. These have been preserved to this day and are a valuable historical resource. Thanks to them, we have an accurate view of tourist growth over the past three centuries. By the end of the 18th century, the number of guests reached several dozen a month. From 1868, and for a significant time after, part of the tourist route could be viewed from a horse-drawn railway. The company created many eye-opening attractions for the guests, including Devil's Drop, which was the miner's descent into the mine using a rope. Also, boat rides on the saline lakes were organized. And during the tour, the path was illuminated with torches, and the mining orchestra played for visitors. There were even fireworks shows. By the beginning of the 20th century, the number of guests reached as high as several hundred per week. Visitors at this time were burghers, which were wealthy merchants and high-ranking officials, secular and clerical magnates, and members of aristocratic and royal families. Interestingly, another group of tourists were Poles coming from all three of the partitions. The mine became a symbol for the former glory of the Polish nation. Writings at the time said that a visit to the mine could fortify hearts. The visit was kind of a political statement and a patriotic act that showed Polish national values. After World War I, the mine became the property of the Polish state treasury and was taken in by the Polish administration. This was a big historic moment for Poland. And to show the change, the names of the shafts and excavations were symbolically changed back to Polish national references. Between World War I and World War II, salt production and trade were very profitable, and production of the mine reached 203,000 tons per year. This period brought stabilization and further development to the mine as a production plant, tourist destination, and therapeutic medical site. Almost 120,000 people visited the mine during this time. The visit was viewed as a novelty, and the mine had a variety of events going on at any given time, including rallies, conventions, anniversaries, and even weddings. Right before World War II, a system of leaching, where water was used to dissolve the rock salt, was developed. This time between was characterized by an increase in production 
regardless of the cost, and certainly without taking care to safely secure the work. During World War II, German occupiers planned to use the mine as an underground facility for war-related manufacturing. Several thousand Jews were transported from the forced labor camps in Plaschuf and Milik to the mine to work in the underground facility. The labor camps for the mine were established nearby in St. Kinga Park and had about 1,700 prisoners. Manufacturing never began because the Soviet offensive was nearing. Some of the machines and equipment were disassembled, including an electrical hoisting machine for the Regis shaft, and were transported to Libanau in the Sudetes Mountains. Part of the equipment was returned after the war in 1945. The Jewish prisoners were transported to other factories in the Czech Republic and Austria. One of the interesting things that came out of the development of this mine was medical. Back in 1839, Dr. Felix Brokowski discovered that the presence of air in the mines that was saturated with dry salt particles caused healing effects on people with pulmonary and respiratory problems. He also made note that the workers in the mine looked a little bit younger because of healthy-looking skin, and they tended to also have fewer ailments. So, being a smart businessman, he opened the first health resort facility in the mine. In 1949, German doctor K.H. Spanahel observed that people who were hiding in the mines and caves from bombs had respiratory health benefits. He actually proposed to measure these underground salt mine effects with modern scientific methods. In 1958, the official physician of the mine started regular treatments of patients in salt chambers, which initiated a new field of medicine, subterraneotherapy. In 1964, the first facility of its kind was created. The modern spa that operates today takes up two chambers on the third level of the mine. Stays can be as long as two weeks. The resort has options such as day for health or healthy sleep, where you spend six hours a day at the Salt Lake and being active. These activities are designed to get you to breathe deeper, which is thought to increase the speed of healing processes from respiratory illnesses such as asthma, allergies, bronchitis, pneumonia, as well as chronic inflammation of the sinuses, throat, larynx, and nose. The spa has 232 beds, a restaurant, recreational facilities, including a playground, sports field, and even a conference room. Salt production increased steadily and reached its maximum level in the 1970s. Tourism became more and more important, and this was not lost on the managers, as the importance of the site as a cultural icon was growing. People realized that preserving the mine for future generations would be an even more important task than producing salt. The mine eventually reached nine levels, with a maximum depth of 1,073 feet. The direct mining of rock salt was completely discontinued in favor of industrial production of evaporating salt using the wet mining method. In 1978, the mine was added to the first group of World Heritage Sites. In more modern history, in 1995, Preisner's Music, a compilation of film music by Polish composer Zbigniew Preisner, was recorded by Symphonia Varsovia in the Wieliczka Mines Chapel. The chapel is widely considered to have some of the best acoustics in all of Europe. In 2013, the UNESCO site was expanded to include Zupe Castle. Notable visitors throughout history have included Nicholas Copernicus, who was the famous astronomer who was the first visitor we know by name. 
he visited in 1493. In remembrance of this event, a monument salt figure of the astronomer was set up in a chamber named after him. It can be seen along the tourist route, which we'll talk about later. Later visitors include Frederick Chopin, Dmitry Mendeleev, who's one of my heroes, as he's considered the founder of the modern periodic table, Pope John Paul II, and former U.S. President Bill Clinton, as well as many others. The mine has even appeared on multiple editions of the reality TV show, The Amazing Race. I guess I live under a rock or in a mine, since I don't know what The Amazing Race is. Anyways, the two mines in this complex have produced table salt continuously until 1996 as one of the world's oldest salt mines. Falling salt prices and mine flooding forced the discontinuation of commercial mining. The halt of production doesn't mean that the miners no longer work at the mine, though. Every day, several hundred miners go to work to protect the historic sections of the mine, backfill the post-mining voids in the non-historical parts, and manage freshwater leaks. In addition, these workers are always being prepared for tourists. Now that we've covered the history and all that, let's talk about how to get to the mines and other information that may be helpful if you're planning on traveling here. So if you're coming from another country, you'll want to fly into the Krakow airport. Many people stay in the Old Town part of Krakow because there isn't a whole lot to do in Lilichka outside of the mines. They seem to be the main attraction. In terms of booking accommodations and restaurants, there were at least 40-plus hotels within a 10-mile radius and at least 50 restaurants in the area. Unlike a lot of the sites we cover, this isn't as far removed from the main city. There are buses that go directly from Krakow to the mines. You could also take a cab or rent a car as well. There are numerous tours you can book if you don't want to go through the hassle of purchasing the tickets yourself and arranging transportation. Many tour groups group Auschwitz and the mines into the same trip. So uh, is it expensive to go? And looking at the pictures of the site, it doesn't seem like this would be a great fit for everyone. So to answer your first question, the tours aren't expensive, and even buying ticket packages that include the Krakow Saltworks Museum are pretty reasonable. And you're right on with that assessment in regards to the site likely being more difficult for some to access physically. Also, there are some age restrictions. Some of the tours are only open to those ages 10 years and older. For those who have difficulty walking long distances, please know that there are 800 stairs to descend, and the tours are two miles or more of walking. There is a lift and maybe some accessibility accommodations available, but again, you may want to Google pictures to get an idea. Also, it is a mine, so it's about 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit down there, maybe colder. If you're sensitive to cold, make sure you wear a coat even during the summer and closed-toed shoes. Both mines have galleries with works of art, underground chapels, and statues carved in salt. Again, like Keith said, they reach a depth of 1,073 feet and extend via horizontal passages for over 178 miles. There are two sections in the mine for tourists. There is the tourist route, which takes about one and a half hours, covers the first three levels of the mine, and is 1.4 miles long. And still, it's only 2% of the mine's passages total length. This will include views of the statues carved from rock salt at various times. 
It's famous for St. Kinga Chapel, which is used for private functions, including weddings. Brian Lakes is another popular area, which has a sound and light show with the music of Frederick Chopin, and there's even a coffee shop 450 feet deep in the mine. So that's Route 1, and then there's the Museum Route, which is famous for its unique collection of horse mills, exhibition of salt crystals, and monumental chambers. This is on the third level of the mine, and takes about 50 minutes to go through. It's a little under a mile. I'm assuming all of the tours are in Polish. Are there any other languages available? Good question. Obviously, the primary language spoken is Polish, because this is Poland, but they offer guided tours in English, Spanish, German, and numerous other languages. And I actually want to circle back. You mentioned, of course, one of my favorite things before, restaurants and food. So I know we did a little bit of work around this around the Krakow episode, but anything stand out to you in terms of the dishes that people may want to try around here? Well, potato pancakes, of course. They're usually served with a variety of toppings, the most popular being sour cream. Another dish is miodonic, which I've had before. It's a spongy honey cake that almost reminds me of dolce de leche. Yeah, those are two of my favorites as well. So with any of these sites, there are almost always legends and even paranormal activity stories that accompany them. Abigail, I know you like to research this. What did you find out about the mines? Any legends or paranormal activity to report? There have been quite a few reports of paranormal activity from visitors over the years. Many people have reported hearing whispers or voices when they're alone. Some state they've seen apparitions as well, though of course nothing has been caught on camera. Despite no reports of ill treatment of minors, it was still a dangerous job, and you can't forget about the Jewish workers that were forced into labor at the mines. There were likely many deaths that can't be tracked due to lack of records. Early life expectancy for salt miners, especially during the Middle Ages and the Industrial Revolution, was lower than average because early methods left miners at risk for deadly dehydration. So are the visitors seeing and hearing shadows in their imaginations? Or are the tortured souls of the deceased miners still roaming, unable to rest? Isn't there also a bit of a story surrounding the founding of the mine itself? Yes, there was one notable legend I came across about the Princess Kinga. And I'll treat this like a children's story. Once upon a time, Princess Kinga was asked for her hand in marriage by a Polish prince who presented her with a ring. When she left her country to travel to Poland, her father, the king, offered dowry. However, Kinga didn't want riches. She asked for salt, which was a rare find at the time. Being the kind soul that she was, she wanted to share it with her servants as well. So the king gave her a mine in Hungary. However, this didn't make her happy, since it was so far from her new home in Poland, and she didn't know how she was going to transport the salt. She went to visit the mine before she left for Poland to try to figure out how she could transport the salt to her new home. In desperation, she fell to her knees to pray, and offered up her engagement ring, throwing it deep down one of the shafts. She went on her way to Poland through Krakow and Wilczka, and was taking a tour of her new kingdom. As she strolled through a village, she told the attendant to stop and dig in the place she pointed. 
they hit rock and told her they couldn't dig any further. Princess Kinga asked them to chip off a piece of this rock, and wouldn't you know, she recognized it as a lump of salt. To everyone's amazement, she asked them to break apart this chunk of salt, and inside was her engagement ring. Kinga and her prince had their servants start excavating in this spot, and they uncovered what we now know as the Vilichka Salt Mines. The end. <laughs> okay, that was kind of fun. Okay, let's wrap up today by talking about the challenges faced in preserving this site. I think I missed my calling as a children's book narrator. That was fun. So this site is really interesting in that regard. The mines were actually on the UNESCO's list of endangered sites from 1989 to 1998, so for almost 10 years. And for those who are wondering what the endangered sites list is, I'll quote UNESCO directly. The list of endangered sites is designed to attract the attention of world leaders and focus public opinion on the need to preserve cultural or natural sites of universal value that are particularly threatened by human intervention or natural causes. This list essentially serves to ensure people are aware that funding needs to go towards it to ensure that people can continue to visit in the future. Through different conservation efforts and the tune of $100,000 from UNESCO, they were able to bring the site up to snuff. Oh, this is good. It's always nice to hear that a site gets removed from that list. So what were some of the steps they took to do so? Well, the biggest and most expensive, but most essential step they took was installing dehumidifying equipment in the mines. I can't even imagine how difficult and time-intensive that was. That's likely why it stayed on the endangered site list for as long as it did. So after sharing all of this with you, it's incredibly easy to see why these two mines and the accompanying castle are all on the list of UNESCO World Heritage Sites and why it was added to the first class of sites in 1978. Thanks for listening to us at the Global Treasures Podcast. If you'd like to support this show, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check us out on YouTube and TikTok. We'll see you next time for our final episode of Season 1.